The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, only you can reveal the light that draws us to the life. Lord, I pray today that as I share this word out of the book of Hebrews, that you will quicken us in our mortal bodies, in our spirits, that you will quicken our soul to see and understand the desperate need we have for you, Jesus, that you are everything for us. Lord, be present now in this study. Open for us the depths of understanding and a willingness to see the life for what it is. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, it opens with this magnificent description of who Jesus Christ is. There are several places in the scripture that tell us about Jesus. The Gospel of John, the first chapter, tells us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. In Colossians, the first chapter, it tells us that Jesus was the creator God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was Jesus He is the creator God who created the heavens and the earth. This was a pre-existent Jesus before he came to earth as a baby. And then in Hebrews, the first chapter, there is an eloquent description for us of who Jesus is. And that God the Father refers to Jesus the Jesus born in Bethlehem as God and directs that he be worshipped, directs that he be worshipped by the angels. Then in chapter 2, there is a warning not to neglect the salvation of that this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, brought to us. We are told that he suffered, that he was tested in every way, and that he came absolutely able to perform the atonement that was necessary to open heaven once more to Adam's children. And then in the third chapter, 
we discover that Jesus was absolutely, absolutely faithful to the Father. That he did not turn aside. That the Father accepted. And then in chapter 4, we find a warning to us against unbelief in this person, Jesus Christ. For there is no salvation outside of the doorway that Jesus opened. Now, all roads lead to the same place. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Buddhist, if you're Shintoism, if you're Hindu, if you're a Christian, all roads lead to the same place. They lead to the judgment bar of God. And there it will not be good works. It will not be your belief. There it will not be your thoughts, your attitudes. There it will be strictly Jesus Christ. And whether you were willing to avail yourself of entering in through that narrow gate that only Jesus could open for us. Buddha cannot open a gate into heaven. Allah is not the same as the God of heaven. Allah is a Mesopotamian moon god, utterly unclean, filthy, Jesus Christ opened the door. Muhammad cannot open the door. He was an extremely wicked man, a pedophile. He could not open the door. Only the purity of Jesus Christ and the atoning blood of Jesus can open the door that allows us to escape the corruption of our soul and the destruction of our bodies and souls. It is Jesus alone. There is no other way to enter into the heavenly realm except by the name of Jesus Christ and except by crucifixion and being reborn, made into a new creature, a new person. Now, chapter 4 speaks about entering into the throne of grace with confidence where we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, where we enter into the rest of God. And then in chapter 5, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to outline for us the growth process, the change process that we as Christians must enter into even as Jesus Christ entered into that process. In other words, Jesus said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. 
If you do not deny yourself, that is, deny the wickedness of your flesh. If you do not deny yourself, this world, the devil. If you do not deny yourself the darkness and take up your cross and follow Jesus to Golgotha where he was crucified. If you refuse to be crucified with Christ, you can never be transitioned into the heavenly realm. When God looks at you, he will see you, not Jesus. Jesus is not going to impute to you righteousness. He is rather going to do something much more spectacular than that. He is, as you are crucified, going to transform you into his likeness. He is going to come with the Father and they are going to dwell in you fully. They are going to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. They are going to change you. And this happens through suffering. Again, Hebrews, the fifth chapter, who in the days of his flesh, having offered up both prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears to the one being able to save him out of death, having heard because of his reverent submission. We also are going to have to come in reverent submission. with strong cries and tears to the one being able to save him out of death and having been heard because of his reverent submission or fellowship. Although being a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And after having been made perfect, that is whole, complete, mature, he became the source of eternal salvation To all the ones obeying him. And so as we obey Jesus by the power of the spirit. And we enter into that crucifixion. There will be suffering. Let's be clear. You're going to have to sacrifice time, energy and money. You are not going to be able to pursue everything in this flesh and in this world. And then add a little Jesus to your life. You are going to have to give yourself wholeheartedly to the pursuit of Jesus and Jesus alone. Then comes this warning against spiritual immaturity. I'm going to read this for you as way of review before we take the next step. It begins in Hebrews The fifth chapter, beginning with verse 11, concerning whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull in your hearing. Dull, what does it mean? It means seared. It means calloused. It means that you have been paying attention to your own agenda 
You have been pursuing your own interests. You have been captivated by your desire for entertainment or money. And you have trusted in religion. You have not been willing to pay the price to gain the certain knowledge of how you stand in the presence of God. There is no revival without repentance. There is no freshening of the heart. There is no quickening of the spirit without a recognition of how I have caused my heart to become dry and cold and hard. It happens gradually as we stop focusing our thoughts upon Jesus, as we get captivated by the things of this world and the responsibilities of this world, perhaps very good things, but still captivated by family responsibilities, captivated by work responsibilities, captivated by my own interest and my own entertainment, captivated by what other people think about me, captivated by my own thoughts of myself as a victim, thoughts of self-condemnation from the past. And I take my eyes off Jesus and I begin to focus on how I feel and what I think and what others feel and what others think. And I begin to be captivated by a need to please other people, to make them happy with me. Please let me say this very bluntly to you. There is only one person who needs to be happy with me. And his name is Jesus the Christ. For he is the only one who holds my life in his hands. He is the only one who will determine where I will spend eternity. He is inviting me and he is inviting you to forget everyone else and everything else and focus on him and him alone. He calls us to leave husband, wife, children, friends and neighbors, even ourselves. And to focus on Jesus alone. And he then will begin to order our steps. He will tell us what to say to others. He will instruct us in the way of righteousness, of kindness, of love. He will instruct us in all the things we need to walk in, in order to be pleasing before him. If you do not do what I'm saying, your heart and mind will be made dull. You will not have a passion for Jesus. You will not have an electric, passionate concern for Jesus. Instead, you will be dull and laid back and casual. You will see 
No need to drive to the National Prayer Chapel or to be in a church where righteousness and holiness is taught. You will have no felt need to be in a place where the arrows of the Holy Spirit pierce your heart and convict you. You will be casual and laid back and very religious. A sure path to destruction. Now, please don't mistake what I'm saying. There are churches in the Washington metro area where the pastor is faithful and honest before God and teaches the full gospel of Jesus Christ. But they are very few. There are pastors who will preach a straight word of God that will bring conviction to your heart and turn you away from destruction. But they are very few. But I know at the prayer chapel what is being taught because the Lord is giving it to me to teach. And so because I know what God is doing there and I know what he is calling for in that place, an army of people who will stand up for Jesus, who will be filled by the power of Pentecost, Holy Spirit, and who with love and compassion in their hearts will teach others the way of righteousness. I know what he's doing there. And that's why I invite you to come and urge you to come and to lay aside the dull, lackadaisical, casual, cold-heartedness to lay it aside and become quickened by the Holy Spirit He continues in verse 12, for indeed being obligated to be teachers because of the time, again, you have need that someone teach you the fundamentals of the beginning of the oracles of God. In fact, you have become ones needing milk and not solid food. In other words, You may have been at one point quickened by the power of the Spirit and on fire for Jesus. A heart burning with passion for Jesus. But now you've been cooled down by the world, by the flesh, by the devil. And now you are distant from Jesus, still being caught in your sin, walking in unbelief, walking in wickedness, going back to your sin time after time. He's saying you're like little babies. You need to be fed the milk all over again. What is the milk? Message of repentance. A message of comfort. A binky. He says solid food is for the mature because of The practice, the senses having been exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying, you have been faithful before Jesus if you are mature. And you have practiced and you have come to understand from the senses when you grieve the Holy Spirit by your words or by your actions and you have repented and you have turned aside from that and you're now walking clean before God, transformed into his likeness. 
And then in chapter 6, he begins, Therefore, having left the doctrine of the beginning of the Christ, what is the beginning of the Christ? It's what a pagan has to hear at the very beginning. It's the judgment of God on sin. It's repentance. He says, may we move on to perfection. May we move on to completeness. Not not again laying a foundation of repentance from dead works. Now, part of what's happening here is that he's speaking to Jewish people. And as these Jewish people came to Jesus, they then began to enter into persecution as their families cut them off. They began to experience the loneliness and the desperateness of being cut off from resources and family and friends. And he's saying, some went back. Some went back. And he's saying, Look, don't go back. Stay with Jesus. And let's not have to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Let's not have to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I went back to Passover. Lord, I'm sorry I went back to the washings. Lord, I'm sorry I went back to these Jewish things that were simply pointing to you, Jesus. I want my fullness to be in you, Jesus, not in these rituals that I practiced that were simply types pointing forward to Jesus. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And he's saying that these washings and these Jewish rituals are dead works. Because Jesus has come. They've been... They've been replaced by the person of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, let's not have faith toward God reestablished. Let's stand in absolute faith in God and in the Messiah. Of teachings of baptisms. There were many baptisms in Jewishness. He's saying, look, let's not have to go back and redefine all of these washings, these baptisms. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. He's saying, can we stop talking about these things? Can we get to what is really important? Can we get to that which is going to transform you and grow you up and make you a solid citizen of heaven? Can we go forward and deal with those topics that will cause you to be made clean before God forever, where you will become now a teacher of righteousness. And he says, this we may do if indeed God may permit. And then he begins to talk about the backsliders. And for many years, this was a very troublesome passage of scripture. I'd like to read it for you. This is Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verse four. Now to the ones having been enlightened, that is to the ones who have been listening to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having both experienced the heavenly gift, that is having been transformed into his likeness. 
and having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians, the first chapter, and having experienced the good rhema, that is the living word of God that I preach on this radio station day after day, coming to the National Prayer Chapel and hearing that living word preached to you, And from God and the power of the coming age and then having fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. So he's saying, look, once you've experienced all of these things, you've you've heard the teaching. You've experienced the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have seen the gift of God. You have been filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying you've gone back to your Jewish roots. Or to us today. You've gone back to your worldliness. He's saying it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And some have taken this passage as the sin that cannot be forgiven. The sin against the Holy Spirit. But that's not what's being said here. I want to show you this glorious news. Lest you give up hope and say, Jesus has forsaken you. And you cannot repent. He says. It is impossible to renew them again. To repentance. And then he gives why it is impossible. The reason why it's impossible to repent for these people. Is not because they have once been enlightened. It's not because they've experienced the heavenly gift And that they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've experienced the preaching of the word of God. They've experienced the powers of the coming age. And they have fallen away. It's not because of all of that that they are not able to repent. It says in the word, it is impossible for them to repent as they are continuing to crucify to themselves the son of God. For the Jewish people, it's impossible for them to repent because they have gone back to their Jewish faith and they have denied Jesus Christ. And only in this life that we see, it is only in this person that came amongst us. It is only by Jesus that we can repent. And if you deny Jesus, you cannot repent and be saved. That's the reason the writer of the book of Hebrews says you cannot repent. Not because you've committed this unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is simply unpardonable because you will not go and repent. And you will not go and repent because you are crucifying Jesus Christ to yourself. You are denying him access to your heart. Now, the wickedness of the Calvinistic teaching is that you cannot repent 
because Jesus is not drawing you. That's foolishness. God does not wish that any man should not be saved. He wants all men and all women and all boys and all girls to be saved. That's the heart of God. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him, you get to choose whether you will believe in him. The unpardonable sin is when you cast away the Holy Spirit that will come and teach you about Jesus Christ. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. It is found in none other. And so the teaching here is, first of all, you are continually crucifying to yourself the Son of God. You refuse to humble your heart and acknowledge the desperate need you have to change. Now, many of you will continue going to church. You'll continue being religious. You may even continue giving tithes and offerings. You may even be a pastor who continues to preach, but you crucify to yourself Jesus Christ by the wickedness of your refusal To put Jesus first in your life. You've made success first. You've made convenience first. You've made your own comfort first. You have made your own financial needs first. You have refused to make Jesus Christ first in your heart and in your thoughts. And because of your refusal to make Jesus first you are crucifying afresh the Son of God. And then the second reason that the writer of the book of Hebrews gives for your not being able to repent is that you are continuing to put him to an open shame. That is... You are continuing to act in ways that bring disrepute on the name of Jesus. You're continuing to get drunk in, the, in your family and they see it. You are shaming Jesus Christ by your continual wicked way. And so you can cry out to Jesus all you want. You can pretend that you want to be saved. You can pretend you can be religious. But you cannot repent in truth. And you cannot gain the victory in truth. Because you are putting Christ to shame publicly. By your behavior, you are putting Christ to shame. You are causing people to look at your behavior and say, there is no power in the cross. There's no power in the blood of Jesus. You are putting to shame the name of Jesus Christ publicly by your behavior, by your attitude, by your words. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, look, it's impossible for you to ever experience again repentance. And renewal to be made one with Christ because in the pride of your heart, you demand the right 
to crucify Christ afresh and think it doesn't matter. To think that your behavior does not matter. And then you join together with the Gnostics who believe that the, that the whole outer core of man is wicked and that the inner core is good and you have your own personal little deal going with Jesus. You're a great Gnostic. And because of that, you're never able to be brought into the true fellowship of Jesus. And you are always a struggler. You are always fighting. You are always being a victim of sin. You never gain the victory because you are unwilling to surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ. You love your sin. You love your wickedness. You love yourself more than Jesus This has to be changed. You're going to have to go to the cross if you're ever going to enter and be restored in Jesus Christ. This is a very strong warning. Listen as he continues. For the earth, having drunk the rain often coming upon it, and bringing forth vegetation usable for those for whom it is being cultivated, partake of a blessing from God. But that producing thorns and thistles is useless and near a curse, and the end of which is for burning. In other words, if you continue to put to public shame the name of Jesus by your behavior. If you continue to crucify to yourself the Son of God and spare yourself, in the end you will be burned. Now I'm terrified for some of you, for many of you, because you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ calls you to be continually trying to do better and working on this and working on that, but you never gain the victory. You never grow up in Jesus. You're always going to sin and somehow death is going to be your savior. No, death will not be your savior. You will be cast into the fire and you will be burned. That's what Hebrews, the sixth chapter is saying to us. This is frightening. If you go over to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, he even goes more deeply into this. He says, now in verse 26, now willfully continuing to sin after we've received a clear knowledge of the truth, a sacrifice or an atonement no longer remains concerning sins. In other words, if you continue to walk in your struggle against sin and you refuse to submit and let Jesus bring the victory to you, there will be no atonement for you. But a certain, verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment 
even the fury of fire being on the point to consume the adversaries, the fire to consume you. Anyone having rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy upon the word of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will be considered worthy of the one having trampled the son of God underfoot? In fact, having regarded the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy, a common thing, even having insulted the spirit of grace. Now we understand the one having said, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. You will be judged before God if you continue to put Jesus Christ on the cross and crucify him by the wickedness of your heart, denying the power of his crucifixion to release you from every bondage of sin. I don't care whether that sin is a sexual sin, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, or if it's pride, or if it's bitterness and anger, if it's laziness and gluttony, I don't care what the sin is. The scripture doesn't make some measurable difference and say this sin is worse than all the others. All sin is rebellion against the Most High and all sin must go to the cross and be crucified with Christ. The Lord will judge his people, not on the basis of Christ's righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ that he will give to you that you can live a holy life before him. Let's not twist the word of God with some Gnostic foolishness. Let's see the reality of our condition before God that we can flee to the throne of grace and be saved. I preach to you the honest word of God that the blood of Jesus Christ is more than adequate to release you from every wickedness, to remove from you the old sin of Adam and establish you in the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he says it is in verse 31. This is Hebrews 10 verse 31. It is fearful to fall into the hands of a living God. But you must call to remembrance the earlier days in which after having been enlightened, you endured a great struggle of suffering on the one hand, this, both with reproaches and persecutions, being exposed to public shame. On the other hand, this, having become companions of the ones being so treated. 
for you both sympathized with their bonds and put up with the plunder of your possessions with joy, knowing in yourselves to have a better and enduring possession in the heavens. May you not then cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, that after having done the will of God, the promise may be obtained. Now yet, in a very little while, the one coming will come and will not delay, but the righteous will live by faith. And if he may draw back, my soul is not pleased with him. But we are not of those shrinking back to destruction, but of faith to persevering of the soul. So now you have it. You have been called to repentance. You have been called to Jesus Christ. You have been told plainly without any equivocation that if you do not come to Jesus Christ in repentance and humility, if you do not come to him and allow yourself to be crucified with Christ, if you do not come and allow yourself to be transformed into a new creature, God will judge you and in the end throw you into the fiery furnace where you will be burned and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be full consciousness of heaven mist. You will see what you traded for heaven. You traded a little convenience. You traded a little pleasure. You traded a little comfort. In that 10th chapter, he's describing dear brothers and sisters who were willing that their possessions should be ravaged. They were willing to walk homeless in the world. There was no price too great for following Jesus Christ. They were not caught in the responsibilities of life. They were not caught in the comforts of life or the entertainments of life. They were caught in love for Jesus Christ and they laid their lives down for him. Will you do that? Have you done that? Or are you still a compromised, lukewarm, about to be spit out of the mouth of Jesus, Christian so-called, religionist, Do you have the victory in Jesus or do you not? Are you content to simply try or do you come willing to die? (laughs) As I spoke with a man this morning, I said, please don't try to be a Christian. Either be one or don't be one. Stop trying. Either come in full repentance, full confession, full laying of your life down, or don't come at all. Either be with the devil or be with Jesus. Don't try to hang in between. 
either serve him with your whole heart or turn aside from him. I know the church today in America is filled with half converted people. The cry of my heart is that every man and woman listening to this broadcast should be totally converted and given passionately to Jesus Christ. That he should be everything to you. More important than any relationship, more important than any comfort, more important than anything else in the world. And it's for this reason that I urge you to come to the prayer chapel because you will not hear this kind of teaching in most churches in Washington metro area, in Baltimore, in Frederick, in Fredericksburg. You will not hear this kind of preaching because today pastors are tickling the ears with pleasant words to build their business, to maintain their membership. I'm not willing to do that. I'm more interested in raising up an army of righteous men and women who are willing to lay it all down and say, Jesus, I must have you. I love you. I have died for you, Jesus. You have raised me to life. And now in joy, I walk with you. So let me just very quickly again give to you the information about how to come to the prayer chapel. There should be no issue. Oh, it's too far, Pastor. Is it? Is heaven too far? Are you unwilling to be inconvenienced? Come to the National Prayer Chapel, and we are located at the All Saints Anglican Church. Now, this is a wonderful family church that has welcomed us with open arms as well as Emmanuel Anglican both churches make it possible for us to rent space at the All Saints Anglican Church this church is located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge Virginia that's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. You're going to experience a very different kind of worship service. I invite you to come. I invite you to open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to pierce your heart. We're located in the bottom level, the ground level of this church. So drive around to the backside and come in. You'll see a large white sign that says lower lobby. Come in through those ground level double glass doors and immediately on your left hand side you will see the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel. We're not a big impressive church. We're not somebody. We're the least of all of God's children. But our heart is entirely set on following Jesus. I invite you to come and to be on time. Traffic will be heavy. Know that ahead of time. So leave early. Our prayer time begins at 12 noon. It's corporate prayer. 
And then at 1230, we begin with a time of welcome and then praise and worship. And the praise and worship is not entertainment. It is where each person is invited to bring a prayer, a testimony, a confession, to bring a song, and to come and enter into being a part of the body of Christ. After that, we invite you to bring tithes and offerings as an act of worship. And then I speak the word of God for the next 45 minutes. Very straight and very honest. Filled with love. If the Holy Spirit is quickening your heart and many of you, he has said you need to go and you've refused, you've rejected. You've said, no, it's it's inconvenient. I don't know what I'm going to get into. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm afraid to go. Now stand up and follow Jesus and follow the Holy Spirit as he calls you to come. <laughs> now I also recognize that we're coming to the end of the month and we are still about $2,500 short of the money for the radio broadcast for this month. I thank those of you who have given $5, $10, $100, $200, $300, whatever. Thank you for giving with tithes and offerings. I believe that the work of Christ should be supported by the free will offerings as an act of worship. And so I invite you Please to quickly send your tithe or offerings for this month's radio broadcast so that we can be on the air again next month. Send it to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Normally at this point in the month, we are much, much further toward the goal We're pushing $4,000 this month. So I'm asking, please, as the Lord prompts you, would you give? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'd like to hear from you very quickly. Now, we're out of time today. I've spoken very freely to you. I pray your heart is not offended, but drawn to Jesus. I want to pray for you. Almighty God, I've come and spoken with love and honesty to my brothers and sisters. I have not softened the message I've not pulled the punch, but I've laid it out clearly, and I pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will move in the heart of every person who has listened to this broadcast, and you will not allow them to turn aside and crucify afresh, you dear Savior. I pray you will not allow them, Lord Jesus, to shame you by their public behavior before their family before their workmates, before their children. 
I pray, Lord, you will come with great convicting power and cause the men and women who have heard this broadcast or who will hear it on the Internet, I pray you will cause them to quickly run to the prayer closet and do business with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you come now in the mighty power of your spirit, with healing in your wings, with love and compassion, will you draw your people to yourself? And will you wash them and make them clean by your blood? Send your Holy Spirit forth over this city to gather together a remnant of people who will stand though the heavens fall. No matter what happens in the physical world, no matter what the difficulty in the physical realm, men and women who will take a stand for righteousness and who will not be turned aside by foolishness or false teaching. Lord, I thank you. And I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come and experience the presence of God. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll even find a simple map showing you how to come to the prayer chapel. Thank you for listening today. Share it with a friend. Go to YouTube. It's on YouTube now. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.